Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome to another podcast on It Depends. We hope you guys had a really good holiday break. I know we definitely enjoyed ours, and Happy New Year. So to kick off the new year, we are actually going to go over some laws that have been changed in Canada and some laws that have been changed provincially. We are not going over everything changed provincially just because there's a lot of laws that have kind of been amended and added, but we will touch on the three major laws that were changed Canadian-wide. All right, so some of the laws and some of the regulations that we're going to talk about uh, some of them are more practical in nature, so will affect our daily lives, and some of them not so much. But nonetheless, a lot of them are very important, especially the Canada-wide uh, changes. The first one that's really interesting is the federal tax change. Now, in 2019, the maximum amount Canadians could earn tax-free was $12,069. Uh, in 2020, as of, I believe, is it April 1st? Uh, January 1st. Uh, will be up to 13,229. So every Canadian will be able to earn that much without being taxed. In four years time, it'll be up to $15,000 in 2023. Now, something interesting to note is that that'll be dependent on Trudeau's government still being in power. Uh, Because as we know, the minority government that the Liberals hold now uh, is much different than the majority they had uh, the last term. Uh, and the most minority governments in Canada have lasted less than two years. Yeah, I think that's definitely an interesting thing to consider, especially that this is a new law that's come into effect, is will it be upheld if Trudeau comes out? And the other major thing is, I think it's a it's a good thing that people can have more money tax-free. Mm-hmm. I still don't think it's enough. Like, if you think about the cost of living, especially because we live in Toronto and in that area... I mean, groceries once a week is about $100 just in itself. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's especially if you're living in one of the major cities. And just rent itself, like that tax free amount that's $13,229 is more than someone is going to, or less than someone is going to end up paying for their tax for the year or their, their rent for the year in Toronto. Like, it's not that much money if you really think about it. I like, I think it's good that it's tax free, which is important to kind of keep bringing that point up, but I still think it should continue to go up with the cost of living. Yeah. So if you do the math on it, 13,229 divided by 52, 52 weeks in the year uh, is $254 per week. That's a very, very low amount, definitely below minimum wage. Yeah. If you're looking at everything you need, food, I mean, any kind of extracurriculars you do, like going out to eat, and like doing some people do their have to pay for their laundry depending on where they live. So like going to the laundromat, like yep. your gas for your car, your your car expenses, like all that kind of stuff, it really adds up. And as students in the summers, um, I mean, that's a really good summer as a student to make over thirteen thousand oh, dollars. Yeah. Nonetheless, there are still students who do that. And if the government is not is uh, able to take some of that away mm-hmm. once you get past that. I mean, it just doesn't seem fair considering the amount that people are paying in tuition. I mean, if we're really putting this into perspective, an iPhone is what a thousand over a thousand to buy brand new. Yeah, some like a thousand, maybe even fifteen hundred for the new newest model. Right. So right there is about I mean less than ten ten percent. Yeah, if I'm doing that, like less than ten percent, but it's still a significant amount. It's not like it's one or two, which would like it's it's a if you're buying like computers, phones, I things that we end up needing in our daily lives, depending on you know what you're doing. 
But those things, like, in itself, you could easily spend $1,300 on just technology for something you're going to need for a school, class, communication with your parents, mm. you know, all those things. Even students who are internationals, like, you need a plane to get back. Well, there, there you have yeah, it. Yeah, that being said, though, the I mean, it doesn't account for things like a tax-free savings account, uh, something like a RESP. Uh, so, I mean, it goes back to what I think. I mean, I think that this is a great idea, especially – I mean, one of the only good ideas that the Ford government has, uh, it's the financial literacy, especially for our generation, because we're considered the most financially illiterate. Uh, So things like that, investing your money properly, making sure that you have enough money in certain accounts to not be taxed, like a tax-free savings account, can kind of override this uh, uh, 13,000 threshold. Uh, But either way, uh, it's an interesting concept. Um, And again, it'll all depend on how long the Trudeau government lasts, because if conservative government comes in, it's likely that something like this will either be changed or scrapped entirely. For sure. And I mean, at this point, it's a positive step. The mm-hmm. number is going up and it's hopefully going to continue going up again if Trudeau stays in. So this one is definitely a good a good law and good for students and for up and coming young adults who are trying to save and use their money wisely because eventually we're going to want houses, cars and all that kind of good stuff. Um, another change that's Canadian wide is the divorce act and it's changing again for the better. It's, uh, looking to include an updated criteria for the child's best interests in custody cases, as well as measures to address family violence when making parenting arrangements. So neither of us have taken or experienced in family law whatsoever, but I think children's interests have always been taken into consideration but it might not have been as much as the system could do. So mm-hmm. I think this is definitely a positive step to change the Divorce Act in that way because children are so, so vulnerable that they have to be protected. There, are, Yeah, there are certain places in, in the law today where, you know, either people or systems, infrastructure is neglected and family, the family justice system is definitely one of those, with the criminal law system being another one. Uh, so it's good to see some sort of progression going through We'll have to see how these changes actually come into effect uh, in the practical sense, in the real world. But nonetheless, like you said, it's a good uh, step forward. And another additional thing is they're trying to make it more accessible and affordable, which is great because we all know that courts and legal cases cost a lot of money. And a lot of people end up losing their child's best interest or losing specific things that are quite important to them simply because of money. And I think it's really unfortunate that money ends up being the reason why people don't get what they want or children don't get the best outcome that they can receive. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last big nationwide policy that's coming into effect is the overhauling of the Indigenous child welfare system. So for that, the Act puts into place national principles such as the best interests of the child, cultural con- continuity, and substantive equality to help guide the provision of Indigenous child and family services across all jurisdictions. So we all know about residential schools. Mm-hmm. We know how it's impacted children. And obviously, we're everyone is trying to make changes and understand it. Most people aren't even that educated on it. But most importantly, the Act provides an opportunity for Indigenous peoples to choose their own solutions for their children and families and emphasizes the need for the system to shift from apprehension to prevention. So it's kind of, it's helping and it's trying, Canada is trying to take a step in the right direction for reconciliation. Mm -hmm. But I think there still needs to be a lot of owning up to mistakes and educating people 
Um, and it's coming after or around the same time as the Human Rights Tribunal came out with a very important decision uh, that uh, had to do with Indigenous children. Uh, that, you'll remember, was the uh, $40,000 cap, I believe they set, yeah. on the amount of damages awards, I guess you could say, to uh, these communities, especially the children uh, who were experiencing you know, targeted violence or targeted uh, desperate desperation i guess you yeah. can say so it's definitely a step in the right direction to again it's all i think that right now a lot of issues are about protecting children or a lot of the big issues that are coming up is about protecting children and especially when it comes to the indigenous culture protecting their actual culture and ceremonies and languages etc all those things that kind of come with the image of being indigenous or kind of the the background and the culture of it like they want to be able to keep that yep and it was stripped away and taken away. And I think it's good for the children and families to be able to kind of have to their own discretion how the children are going to be taught this, where they're going to be taught this. I like the focus on children here in these new uh, laws and these new acts. However, I, I wish that I, I, I was able to see more uh, aimed at the elderly, uh, aimed at our aging population in Canada. I'm really surprised. Uh, I mean, I'm not really surprised, but I am kind of taken back by the fact that we are still not addressing the problem of our aging population in Canada. And I kind of have a personal experience with this because I do have a family member who works with elderly people, specifically those people who are in hospices and who are dying, uh, unfortunately, usually with um, untreatable diseases. Uh, but that being said, there's not enough hospice beds there's not enough people in long-term care who need to be there and i mean again the government doesn't seem to be taking a huge uh step towards that direction that being said i do understand children are the future and the future we are heading to at least in the start of 2020 yeah. is not so i mean bright. to help you out there like yeah of course children in the future and 100 same page i'm so happy that a lot of the laws are reflecting on how they can help children but the people who educate children are actually elders especially you know like they're owed respect and they're seen as wise people so if we aren't taking care of them as much as we might be protecting the innocence and the the feelings of youth we're not protecting their knowledge if that makes sense in any which way um we we can see kind of how we're protecting our future but we're not protecting those who teach our future yeah yeah seniors in canada are rapidly growing uh and the population is it's living longer and healthier than previous generations. Uh, so in 2014, there were over 6 million Canadians that were age 65 or older. Uh, and I know that that is about 16% of Canada's population. So that's a huge gap that we have to start filling and that we have to start addressing. Uh, but nonetheless, these full wide Canada new laws and regulations, they do speak to some serious issues that needed attention. Uh, and it's a good look uh, for 2020 as we, as we start the new year. Uh, so that being said, some of the more interesting and practical, uh, at least for people our age in their early 20s uh, and starting their careers, um, one of them is the uh, health insurance. Um, in for, Ontario, this is specifically for the province of Ontario. Yes. So health insurance, we know that it, it will cover out-of-country uh, things like trips, but that's not the, the case anymore. Yeah, so now there's actually no more out-of-coverage health insurance for Ontario, and I think that falls under the OHIP coverage. Normally when you go on a vacation or, I don't know, go abroad or leave the country, 
you're covered under OHIP. And I think it was a 400-day maximum coverage. Yep. And they've completely struck that you have to now pay an additional amount if you want health coverage outside of the country or outside of, is it the country or the province? I believe it's out of country. Uh, yeah, I would say, yeah, okay, because your insurance would cover you in the country. But I don't know. I think that's kind of interesting for them to take that away because I think a lot of people are traveling. Traveling's always been a really big part of, I don't know how many parent like parents say it, like professors say it, any person you talk to says traveling is such a good way to experience the world. Absolutely. So it's, it's been an area that at least in our generation has been shown to like, forget about money, travel, you Mm -hmm. can make money later. Mm -hmm. Forget about like, if you don't know what you're going to do, go travel. And that's why I'm saying it's so important for people our age. Uh, The province's reasoning behind this is that the OHIP coverage was minimal and inefficient. I mean, in in a way, this is all personal experience. I have never experienced, fortunately, uh, a health concern or problem while I was on vacation, whether it be in, in Europe or whether it be in, in one of the Caribbean countries. Uh, but that being said, there are instances where people do contract diseases. And yeah. if especially in those Caribbean countries, yes. but they're just like the food is different. The and water. honestly, it's even like, so I don't when you go on vacation, like sometimes I'll go like horseback riding or ATVing or whatever. Like mm-hmm. if you fall off, and say break a bone or something, yep. you're now not covered. And it's not something that you kind of did negligently. Like you, you just, you fell. Mm-hmm. It's like stepping on a, a sharp seashell on the beach. Yeah. It, it may seem uh, minimal, but if you get cut in the wrong place and you're walking on a beach that's littered with trash, which I have seen, unfortunately, in some of the Caribbean areas, uh, that can lead to some serious health concerns. Yeah. So I think it was really, I think it's interesting that they they struck that out. We obviously don't know everything or the background as to maybe more than just the fact that it was inefficient and minimal. Mm -hmm. But I think it's interesting that they took that out just because of the amount that Canadians are traveling. Canadians Mm. travel a lot. Whenever you hear about international problems in the negative, it's always that there's also a Canadian there, Mm -hmm. which is normally why you'll hear about those problems. But it's always, oh, Canadian was found in X, Y, and Z. This happened. Canadian was here. Canadian was there. And unfortunately, the latest... Example of that was the plane crash in Iran, but uh, that's another topic for another day. Yeah. Uh, So to continue on on Ontario's changes, another thing that uh, Ontario is doing is they're they're, uh, getting a pilot project going. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. So the pilot project started January 4th, and it's actually to allow e-scooters onto the roads. Um, They have come up with some rules for safety. So obviously you have to be at least 16 years old and wear a helmet. Um, Again, it is a private or a pilot program. So now how, now how well is that going to be enforced? Come on. You mean the helmets? Both. Okay. First off, I don't know about you, but like when I go visit my high school, I do not think those kids are young. Like they, kids nowadays look a lot older. Much older. Yes. So just the cop, like can a cop, like he, did, you don't have to show him your ID if you haven't done anything wrong. I, that's correct, but I, in this context, I, I'm so like if someone skeptical. said show you, show me your ID, like if I was on a scooter, did I do something wrong? No, I don't have to show you my ID. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to wear a helmet. I don't know. It's uh, I think the helmet might be the a minimal problem. I, most parents actually do want their kids wearing helmets anyway. I think mean, my parents still tell me to wear helmets. Absolutely. Um, I think it's uh, – so I was in Kansas City last year, and they have scooters on the road there. And it's quite um, 
it's quite fun to go on. It's kind of convenient if you're in a rush. Mm-hmm. Um, like we were talking about before we started this, I think one of the problems that could arise would be people kind of just tossing the scooters anywhere and everywhere when they're done. So it comes to the respect of Canadian citizens or Ontario citizens and how they kind of take this, which is why it's most likely a pilot program. We really yep. have to see it's kind of shot in the dark. Like we have to see what's going to happen. And I assume most of these scooters will be put in Toronto. Uh, I can't really see it happening in rural areas or it being a concern in rural areas. However, some of the driving that I've seen in Toronto, plus adding scooters in there yeah, with people who don't know how to thing. operate them it's properly. It's huge for pedestrians, right? Pedestrian incidents have mm-hmm. been absolutely huge this this year so yeah i don't know the scooters are going to be really interesting i feel like it's bad to say like oh we'll see like if anyone gets hurt (laughs) but like i think that's what's going to end up happening Mm -hmm. um the other cool thing that ontario is doing is um giving restaurants and bars the option to allow dogs on their patios now it says here that they're giving them the option in areas where low risk foods such as prepackaged and snacks and beer. I don't know what a low risk prepackaged food would be at a restaurant or a bar. And I don't they go don't, to restaurants and, and they don't food. seem to give us any any information about what we could even begin to think that is. Prepackaged snacks and beer. If I'm at a restaurant and I'm eating <laughs> prepackaged peanuts with my beer, I'm at what the wrong those, restaurant. What are those things called that people eat in the morning? Like pop pop tart or pop tarts. Oh my god. I'm thinking like when I think prepackaged food, I'm thinking pop like imagine you go to a restaurant for like a beer and a pop tart. Oh my god. <laughs> and your dog can be there. I don't know if I've ever heard of a worse combo. That's like drinking <laughs> milk with a vodka shot. Just terrible, terrible combo. So yeah, I don't know. That's kind of it. I love, love, love the idea of having dogs on patio. I'm confused about low-risk foods and prepackaged snacks. And I mean, some of some of these laws just are so outdated, and they, they should have been placed years ago. I, in the summer this year, walking in, in Toronto specifically, people will sit in the patio, and then there'll be a fence, usually like a chain or um, uh, a metal fence with bars, and their dog will just be on the other side of the fence. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not like yeah. the fence is preventing the spread of infection or, or bacteria do at you think all. It's this, do you think it's that or do you think it's like dogs potentially jumping on tables and getting food? But then at my other point, if I rebut myself, would be prepackaged food. If you put it on the table, the dog can also get that. Yes, exactly. I so, mean, and, I don't know. And I, I mean, this is just a generalization, but a lot of restaurants outside, especially restaurants near the sidewalks, have elevated tables they're kind of like a bar top table i don't know mm-hmm. if you've noticed this mm-hmm. i'm not sure if that's strategic in any way but i find along the perimeter of a patio a lot of the tables are elevated and they kind of have like the bar stool set up yeah so it's hard for a dog to jump up there I, anyway. I think that might be part of the reason but it, anyways yeah. i think it, it's a cool idea to have them there i'm yeah. curious to see what the restrictions are for the places they can't go yeah aka like what does prepackaged food low risk what is a low risk food <laughs> i'm more excited for that than the actual dogs what to know what a low risk yes, food is. yeah exactly. i would love a definition for low risk foods but moving on from that um quebec legal age for cannabis being 21 it is going up which i i'm really confused about considering you can buy alcohol at age 18 in quebec which is younger than on t- most provinces what is it it's, quebec i think it's Man- the youngest is it quebec and manitoba I th- Edmonton? I I'm, you might be There's right. There two. might be, yeah, there is two. I can't remember the other provinces. I think you might be right. Somewhere out west. But either way, I mean, we're still very, very novel in our research and in our understanding of what cannabis does, both to the mind and uh, more physical, like uh, visible physically. Yeah. But either way, I mean, 
although the research is is uh, small in that category, we have a ton of research to suggest that alcohol has many more damaging effects than pot. It's really ironic that Quebec is going to have the the highest age for the per purchase of cannabis but the low one of the lowest ages for the purchase of alcohol and it just seems a little bit backwards to me yeah i, I think don't know. I, if, I'm curious if they were to, to be their reversed, reason behind that yeah and again quebec's taking the lead on this they are now the oldest in canada 21 is now the oldest age to buy do you think other marijuana. provinces might follow that i don't know i i don't know and i think what it does it speaks directly to the black market uh, especially for young teenagers. This is um, this is the thing, though. And we we had this mock question when we did our public law practice exams: is if if there's some kind of restriction to getting it, will youth just resort back to criminal it, activity? Exactly. And we know that a lot of people who smoke pot are young adults. And I would assume that in that 18 to 25 category, a lot of the people in the category are between the ages of 18 and 20. And I honestly think that. I do think that we are a lot more susceptible to being to our minds being manipulated in a sense that I think high schoolers are m most likely to smoke a lot more than say uni a university student who maybe is past that phase or mm -hmm. understands it. Like you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you you kind of end up growing out of things. Like, Absolutely. When you first start drinking, you drink a lot. You binge drink whatever. Then then you get used to it and you don't even want to drink. I think the same thing applies to cannabis but i also think because we're growing up a lot more quickly again going back to like when i go to high school these kids look like adults yep and they didn't before so and that's not even talking about the vaping uh hazard that's going around even in elementary schools yeah there's groups of kids vaping. kids just want I don't, like their minds are just so drawn to these kind of things well yeah let's, which is why a lot of the the vaping which we can move to a yeah, lot of the advertising there is limited so bc is taking the the pioneering spearhead approach at this i have to give them credit they're trying really hard listen to an interview with their health minister yesterday uh he had some interesting things to say uh i mean they're pretty self-explanatory and kind of obvious but he said there should be some consistency across the country the vaping industry should know what their roles are, and the federal government can do this. The federal government can regulate the vaping industry because they have the power to do so. So uh, before we get into that, BC is increasing attacks, they're decreasing access, and they're somewhat banning uh, flavors. Uh, adult stores will have flavors available. Uh, so there'll be two different kinds of vaping stores. Which follows Nova Scotia as well, right? It does, yes. Nova Scotia also enacted this very recently, uh, but Nova Scotia's is an actual all-out ban. A on, ban on flavored on flavors. Yeah. Uh, now, again, the black market here is thriving. When When is vaping. their ban applicable? Because here it says for Nova Scotia that the ban on flavored vaping isn't until April 1st, 2020. Do we know? I'm not sure uh, that BC specified when. I know that Just this year. that 2020 uh, is what well, we can assume that it's January 1st. Uh, but again, they want to reduce the the uh, nicotine consumption by young adults. Um, they want to tell kids pretty much don't Yeah, you're vape. right, January 1st. Uh, so the tax is huge. It's a 20% a tax that they're raising it. Um, and again, this I kind of this fuels good, the though. black market. Well, okay, not the black market part, but I think it's I think it's good for vaping because there is so many arguments that have been made that a lot of people who vape weren't actually cigarette users, mm -hmm. and vaping was originally 
invented, for lack of a better word, for to help cigarette users kind of wean off and stop smoking. But instead, because of the coolness, as weird as a word that is, that kids have put towards yep. it, it's become that children who don't smoke now vape. The BC Health Minister made a really good point about that. He talked about the subway system in Vancouver. Uh, he talked about seeing some of the advertisements, the private advertisements for, he didn't mention the company, but we all know it was either Juul or one of the other massive uh, vaping companies. Yeah. He talked about how attractive these private companies, like the Juul advertisements are. And they make are. the product look cool. Like Amazing, a Juul looks yes. very slick. Like it, it looks cool to hold. Like you want to try it. Yeah. And you want to hold, like you just want to like show, like you want to carry it around. You, like you want to try a jewel. You don't want to go to www.bcgovernment.ca and learn about the harmful effects of vaping. Absolutely you don't want not. to do that. As no. a 16, 17 year old, that's the last thing you want to do. You want to be vaping with your friends. And like I said, there are elementary school kids who are vaping at the age of 11 or 12, which is very, very and that's concerning. that goes back to the whole like from the very beginning of this podcast, like children need to be protected. Their minds are so vulnerable. And I know we were talking in the respects of like divorce and just their innocence, but it comes to this as well. I think this does fall under innocence. The, the innocence of their mind, the way they're they're easily like manipulated to think things are cool or think things are okay when they're not okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially in school. Like it's it's funny, I think, as we grow up. We learn to have our own views on things. Like, yes, we're taught certain things in school, but now we're taught to question them and ask about them. Whereas at least in elementary high school, we're taught to regurgitate it as opposed to fight it. At least, at least now in law school, I think we even from class yesterday, they tell us if we don't agree with something, speak up, say something. Mm-hmm. Where I don't think I'd ever have done that in high school is spoken up against something my teacher told me. This will be very interesting to see. I think the uh, piggyback rule might come into effect here too, because if there are adult stores that have flavors available, yeah, I mean, kids you always do this when it comes to the beer store. Although I haven't seen it in a Fake long time, ideas. I've no, I've been asked before uh, by kids waiting outside of a beer oh, store yeah, yeah. or a liquor or store. Or fake IDs; those are still a thing. Oh, absolutely! I think it'll be a lot more difficult in terms of the uh, vaping. Uh, I think they're really, really taking like a no tolerance policy. At least BC is like he, the big part of the campaign is just telling kids to not vape. Yeah. I mean, easier said than done, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how this contrasts to Nova Scotia's approach to opposite ends of the country. One is an all out ban. The other one is uh, offering adults the use of flavored um, vape cartridges. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. It'll be very interesting to see, but I'm glad that BC is spearheading this because something does need to be done. It's, it's turning into a health crisis. Absolutely. Um, So the last thing that we're going to talk about real quick, and again, there are other new and amended laws that are coming in, but the um, annual motor vehicle inspections in New Brunswick Brunswick will no longer be applicable. So as of January 1st, the province no longer required drivers to get their personal vehicles inspected every year. I think that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Um. I don't know. I think that's a safe... I don't know why they did that. I guess we can do some more research on it, but I do think it's interesting for the safety of drivers. I was telling Chris just yesterday, like, I feel like I always find a problem with my car. Not that I, like, hit curbs or go into potholes very often, but things happen. There's always some kind of, like, your your oil, your brakes, mm-hmm. like, whatever. And you have a relatively wrong. new car. I do have a very new car. So I think it's kind of uh, interesting just the fact that you know, the, the fines in Saskatchewan are going up for distracted driving, but you don't have to get your car inspected. I don't know. To me, that's kind of, I know it's different provinces, but it's like, 
what you're driving doesn't have to be safe, but what you're doing in it has to be safe. I don't know. I mm-hmm. think it's, it's I don't a, know why they did that. It could be an interesting way to. And the cost the is going up. It's going up from $35 to $45 to inspect your vehicle. So they're making it, I don't know. Yeah, but then that only has to happen once every two years. So are they really making money there? You know, if you're increasing I, the cost, but you're no, doing. No, they're losing money, aren't they? Uh, well, yeah, you would think so, right? They're losing 35 plus 35 to 45 two years. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't know why they're doing that, but I thought it was pretty interesting. Did you want to talk about the plastic ban? Um, sure. I mean, I think people are pretty, pretty, uh, I mean, informed about this. It's consistent with what Sobeys did, uh, beginning in January, 2020. So they're no, no longer offering plastic bags, which I think is incredible. I think they're, they're not only are they, uh, a huge grocery chain, I don't know where they sit in terms of Canadian grocery stores in, uh, in terms of size, but they're what well, they're well known. They are well known, and what they're doing is telling people, "Look, you better bring your own reusable bags, or you're going to be carrying your groceries out by hand, one by one." I mean, you have a big thing of paper towel in one hand and another thing of cat food in the other. You're going to be making <laughs> that's a what lot. you think of. <laughs> yeah, I do, and it's great because it no, forces people. But to no, remember. I definitely agree. I think it's it's a good thing for the environment, and this is, I believe, Nova Scotia and Newfoundland and Labrador that are jumping on this train and banning plastic bags in those respective provinces. Some bags will still be used, so things like dry cleaning bags, uh, the bags that you see on on tires when garages change your snow tires out, will still be used, and bags for fish and bulk foods. Uh, but overall. Uh, I mean, some people think it is just symbolic in nature, but that's what a lot of people thought about with the carbon tax. But either way, it's still a way to initiate change and still a way to show not only Canada and other provinces, but uh, places around the world that we're serious about about doing something towards, you know, changing yeah. the climate. So, I mean, overall, I think Canada has taken some pretty good steps. They've amended and created new laws, which I think, you know, well, it's just the beginning of the year. We'll have to go out and see how well they're implemented and how well people respond to them. Like I said before, there's a couple other ones that we just haven't mentioned, but you can always look them up. You literally just have to Google like 2020 Canadian new laws or provincial new laws and you'll see them right there. But yeah, definitely in the right direction, I think for a lot of the the new laws and a lot of the amendments that they've. We'll see 2020 is off to a pretty rocky start, but uh, we'll see how things go in the year's time. Thanks for tuning in, guys, to another episode of It Depends. Uh, we're glad you guys had a good New Year's and Christmas. Uh, we welcome you back to whatever you're doing, whether it's jobs or school. Uh, we'd like to share that we have a special guest lined up for our next podcast. Uh, that should be out within the next couple of weeks. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I hope you learned a thing or two about what's happening in Canada and the individual provinces. Um, and we can't wait for you to tune into our next episode. Yeah, and if you guys have any comments, questions, concerns, if you want to reach out to us, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. We will and do respond to messages. So once again, Happy New Year, and thanks for tuning in. Take care.